and welcome to The Successionistas. The Successionistas! There we go. <laughs> a weekly podcast recapping and discussing the award-winning HBO TV show Succession. I'm Anna Bogutska. I'm a writer, podcaster and Succession superfan. And I'm Mike Munzer, a producer, podcaster and Succession obsessive. And in this podcast, we'll be taking you through the very high highs and very low lows of the Roy family saga every single week, recapping every episode of Succession's fourth and final season, which is airing right now on HBO in the US and Sky and Now TV in the UK. And this week, we are diving into season four, episode seven, Tailgate Party. I am in serious trouble. That was a play. You will be okay because you are a tough fucking bitch who will always survive because you do what you need. You will do whatever you need. Yeah? yeah. Really? You sure you're not projecting because that is actually you. Should we have a real conversation? With a scorpion? That was no. a friendly thing. Oh, yeah, a friendly sure. Thing. You're real friendly. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I'm a scorpion. You're a hyena. You're a... You're a street rat. Actually, no, you're a fucking snake. Here's a dead snake to wear as a necktie, Tom. Why aren't you laughing? Mike, are you ready to do our usual maligned influence material? (laughs) Yes, I am. What I want to know is, what is more important to you at a swanky party, Anna? Like, good canapes, like little sliders with American flags, Mm -hmm. or good wine, which this party evidently did not have, right? Good wine. Good yeah. wine. Yeah. I don't want to be known as a Malbec moron, you know. I want to be known as a person who can <laughs> tell the the light and fruity wines apart from the good shit. It was so funny because me and Rihanna were watching that episode, and I think we were literally drinking some cheap Malbec wine. At that point. <laughs> we're, like, uh, we're definitely Malbec morons, definitely. Um, so what an episode, Anna! What an oh, explosive God. episode, right? So uh, it's election eve. A little bit more time has passed than I thought because I thought election eve would happen right at the end of this season but it's the night before the election tom and shiv are throwing the tailgate party the kind of pre-election party they've invited all of the most important people politically in america to this party uh menken is polling four points behind the democrats so it's not looking good for atn and co at this point roman needs to persuade connor to pull out of the political race as he's actually taking that precious one or two percent from menken voting Meanwhile, Ken and Roman are continuing their quest to destroy the deal with Matson, and they decide that they're going to use this party to kind of continue to ruin his reputation. They invite Nate back from series one. We haven't seen Nate in ages, but obviously Nate as somebody very much linked to the Democratic Party, but also linked to the Department of Justice, the DOJ. They want to invite him so that they can plant these seeds about Matson being dodgy, so that they can take him down sort of in a regulatory sort of way. Uh, Shiv, who is still secretly sort of working with Matson, lets Matson know that this is the plan. And she says, you need to come to this party and suck up to all of these powerful people. So uh, Matson just rocks up at this party seemingly out of nowhere and that is when all of the fireworks start right there are loads of arguments and dramas and explosions that happen there is a big drama between Matson and Ebba there are arguments between Connor and Roman there is a huge bust up between Matson and Kendall and then it ends with the blowout to all end all blowouts a huge argument between Shiv and and Tom at the end. It was a big, explosive, dramatic episode, Ada. What did you think of this week's ep? 
I might need to go to an extra session of therapy after this episode. <laughs> uh-huh. Because fuck me. Mm-hmm. It is an emo it, it is a succession of emotional explosions. Yes. Really. It is. It's yeah. all, you know, it all takes place in this one party in Shiv and Tom's triplex. Yeah. You know, a word you don't get to bandy about that often. Holy crap. Yeah. And it, it is a succession of arguments, essentially. Yeah. It's different confrontations between different people and things that are either unspoken or very obvious but not addressed being thrown around really aggressively in people's faces. We get a Tom and Shiv confrontation, which we will discuss in great depth. Um, We get a Matson and Kendall confrontation. We get a Roman and Jerry argument. Mm -hmm. We get a Roman and Connor argument. We get a Ken and Rava argument. Like, everyone is having a bad time in this episode, okay? Nobody's having a great time. Nobody's okay. Yeah. Everybody needs to simmer the fuck down. Except please don't, because this is excellent television. (laughs) Excellent drama, right? love watching people argue. Mm. I love mess. As long as it's not my own. So seeing all these people yell at each other and throw these horrible emotional truths at each other and react in the exact way that they are, that you would know they would react. Yes, yes. Kendall goes off to hatch a little secret plan. Um, Girl boss Kendall appearing once again. Yeah. Shiv pretends like she is unscratchable and mm-hmm. untouchable by feelings. Uh, Roman gets humiliated by Jerry and then goes off to humiliate someone else in turn because yeah. that's the only way that he knows how to deal with rejection. So it's just let's get into it because there is a there's a lot there's a lot there's such a lot and you're right you know i think it, it this episode particularly takes time to focus on each of these fuck ups with their sort of other halves right they're significant i mean the episode almost yes. opens with kendall and rava first time we've seen rava in a while right and oh hi uh, rava yeah glad yeah. you're alive i know i know thank god and you know kendall and rava like you said roman and jerry obviously tom and shiv and i think uh, what well, again connor maybe continues to be my favourite character this season. And I think, again, just (laughs) highlighting that Connor might in fact be the one at his healthiest, happiest place out of all of these siblings and certainly in the healthiest relationship out of all of these siblings, right? Well, I mean, I think healthy is a strong word. Oh, it's all relative, Anna, but, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know what? I... I stand Connor's delusion. Yeah, yeah. Connor and Willa are so comfortable in their delusional world. Like, you know yeah. what? Good for them. Good for them. Yeah. Like, they're not hurting anyone, at, at least. Well, not yet, anyway. And, you know, they're just spending money being rich and stupid. When Connor says... G- good. When Connor says, well when Connor says to Roman... There is one person at this party who doesn't think I'm a joke, so I'm going to listen to her. I was like, oh, Connor... I kind of love him. I, <laughs> I kind of love the I weird know. little Republican nutcase. <laughs> he's not even Republican. Is he's libertarian? Is oh it? yeah, he's libertarian. Yeah, whatever he yeah. is. Whatever it's he is. It's like imagine. Do you remember? Did you watch Parks and Rec, Mike? Mm, a little bit, on and off. Yeah. So Nick Offerman's character Ron Swanson is, I think the, the funny polar opposite of of Connor Roy, but Connor is like an unfunny unhinged Ron Swanson because they're both aggressive libertarians but Ron Swanson doesn't want to make any money from it uh, whether it's Connor does right 
Very much. And also, so. Connor is way too interested in nukes as well. Oh my god, <laughs> no, yes. not a good combination. So good. So where should we even begin, Anna? We usually start by talking about Kendall. Do you do you want to start with Kendall this episode? I almost. I mean, I almost want to start with Tom and Shiv because. Oh yeah. Oh, maybe we should because the episode literally opens with their breakfast together as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And it ends with them. And it and, well, because we it, the episode begins with them kind of in a good place, and then obviously ends with them in a very very bad place. But Tom bringing Shiv breakfast in bed and giving her his little gift of a scorpion. Anna, what did you think of this? <laughs> I I was wondering about this. I'm like, how would I react being given a gift that is also an insult, mm-hmm. but kind of feeling very seen by the insulting gift? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not untrue. But also, why would you do that when yeah. you're in such a good place? Like, I think I think this is a continuation of the the previous episode. You know, when we see them have that almost like deranged, laughing conversation on their bed, mm-hmm. where it, it's like, like, oh, Tom thinks that oh, they're now just being real with each other. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Shiv is, and she takes this joke in a bad way. I don't think she wants it on those terms. I don't think she actually wants to be honest all the time. Yeah. And the other thing that I thought was quite interesting is that it feels like a very clear nod to the scorpion and the frog fable. Yes, Are you aware of this? Yes, I thought the exact same thing. Yeah, because of course, yeah, the story of the 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 frog that gives the scorpion a lift across the river on its back, but when they're midway across, the scorpion stings the frog and they both die. And that's because the scorpion it's in its nature to sting, right? You cannot change its nature no matter what, even if that ultimately leads to the creature's own downfall. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, in, in this occasion, Tom would be the frog and he'll carry the scorpion over. She, he'll tie Shiv over while she's having her, you know, little menti bees. And mm. that's that's happened throughout the seasons, you know, that she constantly recalls and he recalled early in the season as well that when they met, she was uh, in a very difficult period of her life. And she later on in their big argument says that he proposed to her at her lowest ebb you know there's this recurrent image of tom lifting up or carrying shiv when she's at her lowest yeah. and it's kind of happened again this season right she's grieving her father yeah. and they're back together yeah exactly mm. yeah but then she will because she is the scorpion she will still strike him she will still kill him even if he carries her over yeah. the river yeah and you know it's a, it's it's a good metaphor for them but I do want to touch briefly, uh, and I want to hear what you think about Tom and Shiv's the the very intense emphasis over the last two episodes on Tom and Shiv's sex life. Yeah, because I don't know if you paused the screen while they were texting, like I did. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The what was it? The orgasm, orgasm Olympics, and she, her, harder, faster, sore. Yeah, and she's saying, "I think I broke your <laughs> dick." And yeah, um, hilarious. Yeah, You're right. There is. There's been a real emphasis on it in the last couple of episodes, and I guess it almost feels a little bit too, uh, like they're trying too hard to make that. Yeah. Their, their relationship, their personalities, right? And they are sort of covering up the home truths, the home truths that mm. come out in this episode, because I do feel like everything they say in that final confrontation is for once pure honesty. But I, I feel like the, the the incredible sex that they've been evidently having um, means that I think that that has been what they've been doing to kind of like band-aid over, bandage over mm. the real problems maybe underneath at the heart I mean- of their relationship. On the one hand, they're busy people. Where do they find the time? Well, Tom's but very tired. Other- Tom's very tired, Anna. 
On the other hand, though, Siobhan Roy, she's just like us. She also makes bad decisions because she's stigmatized. Yeah. <laughs> bad decisions that include getting married to someone <laughs> because you enjoy sleeping with them so much. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they're like teenagers. Oh my god, with the texting, with the sexting, while Tom is literally firing a hundred people. <laughs> it's ridiculous, yeah. and Jim is like just been. Uh, well, A, stabbing Tom in the back because she knows that Nate is going to be at their party. Her brothers tell her. Mm. And, like, conspiring against her brothers with Matson at that weird breakfast. Sure, let's talk about your dad's corpse and then instantly send flirty sex to your sort of ex, but not quite ex-husband. Yeah, yeah. It's very strange. Their dynamic is so interesting. And, you know, Tom has always been this strange mix of being ruthlessly snaky and sneaky you know she even calls him a snake later on doesn't she they're they're, they're the scorpion and the snake right these two and he but but yet also kind of constantly is sort of saying i'm actually with you because i love you and i think he what's interesting is i think both of them believe themselves to be good people right and i feel like you know shiv gets really really offended when she's called a bad person or she's called a scorpion because she always has this thing where she thinks she's the more she thinks she's the good roy in the family doesn't she you know yeah and uh and i think tom thinks that too i think tom thinks he loves shiv and he genuinely is in this marriage because he loves her but Clearly, and he's actually admitted last week, like, he loves money. He loves his career. Of course mm. he is, like Shiv says, fucking her for her DNA and for a ladder and all of these other things she tells him. They're both very complex people where I think they think they sort of love each other, but do they really? They sort of also hate each other. And it's a very, very strange dynamic. Well, I found the argument that they have at the towards the end of this episode literally unbelievable. I think I, I rewatched just that section of the episode as I was rewatching it this morning about three times in a row. Yeah. Because it is so intense and kind of, I think, the heart of their relationship more than any other argument. Totally. Because I keep wondering, and as you've pointed out, does Shiv actually, uh, does Tom actually love Shiv as he keeps saying and throwing at her? And I kind of, think it is a sort of love yeah like he does you know when we've seen this when logan died he is kind to her and he does put aside their usual pettiness and aggression when push comes to shove we've seen him do that Mm. but there is a thing as well there is like a masochistic thing there as well of he does want her for her dna and the proximity to power and as a ladder for power but then there is something about her that he does love, I think. But I don't think we fully understand or see what that is outside of yeah. like the fun banter and the sex and stuff. But, you know, we see them do this bitey thing, which is very erotically charged last episode. Yes. And then in this episode, we basically see them do an emotional bitey in yeah. this argument where they're just throwing horrible stuff at each other and seeing which one can take it. Yeah. You know, and but... In that argument, I'm not taking anybody's side. They're both awful people, but she's a scorpion. He's a snake. Yeah. But she is unbelievably selfish and does not. She keeps repeating the things that she Mm -hmm. knows will hurt him, including having Nate over at the party and not telling him until the very last minute. 
Yeah. Like, this is, yeah. And this is another really interesting thing, though, because having watched this episode now three times, I think mm. Shiv genuinely is quite sorry that Nate has come to the party. Like, I think she does genuinely Do you feel... Think? I think so. She does. I she don't. doesn't. She she doesn't have a single conversation with Nate at that party. Like they avoid each other, really. Yeah. And I think she genuinely is uncomfortable when Ken and Roman suggest inviting him, and when she says, "I'm sorry," genuinely to to him, I think she thinks she is. Like I I, I genuinely think that maybe she doesn't want to hurt Tom at that moment, or at least doesn't want to make things more awkward at that party, so doesn't want him there. I don't know. Maybe, again, I'm giving Shiv too much credit, I, 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 but I feel like there are moments where, in this episode, she genuinely is, in her own kind of quite fucked up way, sort of trying to look out for Tom. Mm. And then, of course, he snaps at her at the end and then she goes for him back. But, like, yeah, I don't know. It's It's such an interesting, ambiguous thing. I don't know. I don't... I kind of don't agree because mainly because when she gets told that they want to invite nate to the party well they ask for her mm. permission essentially and she's like yeah mm. sure whatever the first person she calls is matson yes and then she continues to send flirty texts to tom but she she has the opportunity to warn him or even to ask him or warn him either way and she doesn't do it until it is fundamentally too late and Nate is about to walk through the door. Yes, that's true. You know, true. it is, everything is catered to what's beneficial to her. And when Tom throws this in her face, he is right. He's like, you do not consider me at all. Like, in the equation of her life, mm, Tom mm-hmm. has never been, from what we've seen, a consideration. Until he literally pushes her. Like, I, I think at the end of season two, you know, when he's yeah. like... Are you are you gonna throw me over the like? Don't let me be thrown over the bus by Logan. But yeah, that is quite transparent that she does not actually involve him in her thinking. And I like that kind of. I don't know. I'm sure you've had this. I think everyone has been this person or uh, done this to an, their you know partner or someone they were with uh, when some, Tom gets really tired at the party and he's like, I just I want to go to sleep. I'm tired. I'm yeah. fed up. I don't want to be here anymore. And she's just like, stop telling me you're tired. Like, it's not over. I'm still yeah. doing this thing. It is yeah. such, it's such a simple thing, but it is such an uncaring, you know, annoyed reaction to someone telling you explicitly a very, very basic need. This is not emotionally complex. This is just like, I want to go to bed. Can we can we end this party now? Totally. Um, t- let me tell you, there's nothing worse, Anna, than when people are at your house and you just want to go to yeah, bed as yeah, well, right? Yeah. Like, there was a little bit of me that felt for Tom yeah. there. And at, but at the end, when he's like, okay, everyone, party's over, I'm going to yeah. bed. You know, I like, get the fuck yeah. out! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. But there yeah. is, like, they, there is nothing Shiv can actually say and there's nothing that she says in that co- argument that she has with Tom that is as hurtful as his parroting her mother's words to her. Yeah. The thing yeah. of you're incapable of love and maybe not a good person to have children. That is her ultimate nerve center, isn't it? Yes. Like you hit her there. And of course, again, Sarah Snook's absolutely incredible in this episode, but like that, 
reaction she has to that line yeah. particularly. And like you said, it's the same as when her mother says it. Maybe even worse is, this time yeah. because she is literally pregnant with, I'm assuming, Tom's baby yeah. and he's telling her this, right? So like that, that she still, as far as we know, hasn't told a single person yes. right, that she's pregnant. But so, I was yeah. thinking about this and I think the reason why it strikes such a hurtful note is not it's not necessary because you know, she. it's because it's Tom whose child she's carrying, telling her that she's not suitable to be a mother or a parent. Mm-hmm. It's because the repetition of the words being almost exact as what her mother says, it strikes this like emptiness that comes from the lack of both her parents, you know, the lack of mm. approval from her dad that he again reinforces. And he is right. She, What she's doing in this argument is throwing blame at him. She's blaming him yeah. for uh, agreeing to marry him because she was at her lowest ebb. She was, She blames him for not spent, for being estranged from her dad for the last six months of his life, that he took yeah. her him away from her. And he says this yeah. very bluntly and very clearly clearly and actually agree with this it's not my fault you didn't get his approval i have given you endless approval but it doesn't fill you up because you're broken and i don't agree with the like you're broken thing but it is true there is like an emptiness in shiv that yeah no matter how much love and devotion or subservience Tom shows her and it's interesting that we start the episode with him like literally serving her breakfast and she's so she treats him like you know quote unquote the help in that scene as well she's like oh yeah just put it over there you know it's not like yeah. we're gonna have breakfast together <laughs> yeah. and yeah it does not it does not matter and I think one of the the key things of this argument is that Tom has finally understood that no matter how devoted he is to her uh, she it will just never be enough. But not because of him, but because of her. And all she can do is just keep swinging that fake, oh, I don't even care about you. Where it's like, no. Yes. You might not you might yeah. not care about him as a person in like, you know, in a in an emotionally deep way, but it does fuck her up that he has seen through her. Totally. A hundred percent. Like that last thing she says to him, which is like, I don't care about you, I don't love you, is to me, that feels like a last ditch attempt yeah. to say something that will hurt him more than what he has just said to her, right? About not mm. being a good mother. Mm. And yeah, like I think, and I love that every single thing they say to each other feels true. Like ne- none, it feels like neither of them are have the upper hand necessarily in this argument. Like it feels like they're both on an even kill and both telling each other these home truths that I'm like, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like when he says you'll be okay because you're a tough fucking bitch who will always survive because you do what you need. And then she says, yeah, are you sure you're not projecting because that sounds like you? And it's true. Like we've said this about both mm-hmm. of them, right? That Tom always finds a way to survive. He's a cockroach. Mm-hmm. And, and in, a, in a way, of course, Shiv will be fine because you know, she comes from money, she's powerful. Th- th- that's the kind of silly irony about this whole show, isn't it? Is that really these kids will be fine if they just leave it the fuck alone and live their lives, mm. right? And uh, yeah, like I think what it's such a well-written argument because the way the insults escalate and escalate and escalate and they become more and more hurtful, but everything they say is so rooted in this truth that we've known about these two characters since season one, episode one, and they're finally saying it at each other, right? And it's so interesting. Mm. And also the whole episode really is, and I think I read this in 
the vulture recap this morning mm. it's very much a fuck tom episode it's like yes. and they say it the brother the sib say it kind of at the, towards the end of the episode and the whole party as well like the holy shit he's not wrong like the absolute extended humiliation of pottering around the party doing your networking and in the entire everyone making the joke making yeah. the fuck tom poor tom joke even nate at one point says oh Poor Tom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. Yeah, this is a real fuck Tom. Mm. And, it, and it ends with Tom, right? Yes. Like the last shot of the episode is Tom, which is the first time I can remember that happening on this show as well. But it really feels like, oh, this is... A, uh, like This feels like a pivotal moment for t- Tom and Shiv and particularly for Tom. Like I feel like this isn't one of those arguments that they're just going to bounce back from as part of their relationship banter. Mm. This felt like maybe it was more of a game-changing argument for Shiv and Tom. I mean, we'll see next week whether they're just back to their normal selves again or still having sex. But I've got a feeling that might be it for Tom and Shiv. That might be oh, the nail God. in the coffin Actually, for their marriage. I have a theory, Mike. Yeah, go on. I think... The worst way that Shiv can now hurt Tom, it can go in two ways. I think we need to, we, something needs to happen with this pregnancy, right? They can't just be like, oh, your only female character is pregnant. Yeah, we're not going to mention that for the rest of the season. Bye. Yeah. Bye, baby yeah. Shiv. No, I think that will come back into play. And I think it, it can either go one of two ways. Either Shiv cuts off Tom completely and tells him, to just stick the knife in harder that she's pregnant, but he, that baby will never have his name. She's not going to let him see it. She's mm-hmm. not going to kind of let him be any. So she, he has to know that he has a child and kind of in that family and not be able to do anything about it. Or she will abort, have an abortion. Yeah. And she will tell Tom tell and she him. will throw yeah. it in his face. She was like, I, was pregnant with your child and I had it. I had a had an abortion because like yeah. fuck you, Tom. It's the ultimate yeah. fuck you. Especially because he kept bringing up the baby thing so often last season yeah. and this season as well. And this like l- this grenade of you know maybe I don't want to have a baby with you while she's pregnant. Who yeah she's she's gonna do something with that. Yeah, I I completely agree. And actually, maybe we should talk a little bit about Shiv just generally separate from Mm. Tom, because what do you think of her dynamic with Matson in this as well? Obviously, she's still very much team Matson at the beginning of this episode, and she's giving him Mm. the intel, and she's saying you need to come to this party. She's helping him. She's advising him. And then they have that slightly awkward encounter in the sort of coats room where she says... What are you going to do for me? I need a considerable role in this yes. company going forward, right? And he basically fobs her off, right? That sounds... That- it's a fuckboy conversation. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's the like, oh, yes, you know, but this is good. I, li- I like talking to you. Yeah. Oh. Uh, it, oh. He is... The way he reacts is just the sort of way that Logan used to react to her when she said stuff like this, which is that he kind of smiles and just sort of like, mm, yeah, okay, Shiv. Like, he's not... He's not going to give her a good... He's not going to give her a CEO position. The I difference think, is forward. that he he does think that she is effective at what she does. And yes. he, he does heed her advice. When she gets on the phone with him, and in a very, like, quite... Quite a great way, um, she's like, no, you need to come over here. And he's like, okay, 
Yeah. Okay, I'll be over here. I'll be over here and I'll RSVP four minutes before coming through the door. And I'll be here with my little like uh, subordinates who fucking hate me and my ex-girlfriend, Ebba, who also hates me. And I'm just going to be wheeled around the party by Schiff, being introduced to the political uh, bigwigs. And he's basically doing exactly what she's telling him to do, which, you know, someone like Logan obviously never did. So he does respect her uh, PR savvy and her political acumen. But I don't know if he's going to give her, I don't think he's going to give her the CEO position. Again, ultimately, to be honest, Mike, at this point in the season, in the series, I don't fucking care. Like, it does not matter because this stuff is changing episode by episode. But the bigger question is, what is Shiv doing now that she knows that Matson's company lied about their numbers? That they are not, in fact, two Indias? Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) And that their valuation is built on a pretty big lie and pretty big numbers yeah it's it's fascinating this isn't it because matson is the character who we've sort of been saying you know as 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 deranged as he is an eccentric genius seems to be a genius right business savvy and everything else in this episode it kind of sheds a bit more light on him that maybe he isn't even that you know ebba said he's not even he didn't even come up with the product right he just took it to market essentially right he's not even that good at coding and all this other stuff that he's meant to be so brilliant at and she reveals obviously liar yeah like you said that he's he's fudging his numbers he's making his he's basically doubled his subscriber numbers in india which is a big no-no obviously and is gonna if the board finds out it could ruin the whole deal uh and mm-hmm. yeah shiv ultimately once again maybe ends up in the worst position out of everyone by the end of this episode because she has her relationship with tom is in ruins she has she has betrayed her family throughout this season she's been working against her brothers her brothers have cut her out of the ce bros position she put mm-hmm. all of her eggs in this matson basket and maybe that is now in danger of disappearing so once again shiv is left kind of flailing a little bit by the end of this episode isn't she i think it's also very interesting that there's an interview with alexander skarsgård who plays matson in the hollywood reporter and he thinks of matson that he's 100% using shiv and i quote it's a wedge in between the siblings he sees her as an opening he's a predator mm. he sees that he needs to get at least one of them on board he smells blood in the water this friction between the the siblings and i quite like that makes sense you know it is he's doing the things that in that sense that you know he might like i was saying trust shiv's advice but only to a point Oh, totally. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's 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 basically isolating Shiv, isn't he? He's mm-hmm. isolating her from her brothers, and even in this episode, he works his way to isolate her from Tom. He says, "So who's going to get this apartment in the divorce and stuff?" Like mm-hmm. he's planting these seeds where he's like, he is. Yeah, he's kind of moving Shiv around like a chess piece mm-hmm. almost, isn't he? Mm-hmm. I think, and yeah, that that is definitely something that he's cleverly doing. And, uh, you know, like you said, it's not really important at this stage in the show, but I think he has no uh, he has no desires to make her the big boss or the CEO. No. He thinks that she's just great to have by his side, essentially. He is also imprudent 
in mm. so many ways. Mm-hmm. And they kind of empathize, uh, emphasize the cultural difference, right? But also there is a disdain in him and everyone around him uh, towards, you know, America, towards New York, towards the ways that they operate and like the ways that big business operates there. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like at one point sitting down by the window with this incredible views of New York and being like, oh, it's like Legoland. You know, it ain't no Singapore. Yeah. You no, know, this looks shit. Everything that happens here is is happening everywhere else it doesn't really it's a shit city and he does that in front of everyone and similarly he humiliates oscar and ebba in front of other people too constantly telling her that you know he should fire her and having these like very public domestics like scandinavian domestics between them yeah and i i do think that the show has sort of presented him as this you know savvy smart aggressive tech billionaire and has progressively as we see more of him this season made him a bit more ridiculous yeah definitely untrustworthy and predatory but also brash and kind of too optimistic for that level of business you know you can't just be like i'm in the middle of like a billion, 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 billion dollar acquisition of a massive major American company. Yeah, it does like, oh, whatever. Like, you know, in a couple of months, the numbers will stabilize. I'm like, yeah. Once again, I'm no MBA, but even I know that's a big deal. Yeah, no, totally. I agree. I think that this is, and it's fascinating. And again, Skarsgård, absolutely brilliant in this episode, but like that, that Matson slowly revealing himself to be, in the words of Logan, not a very serious person, right? Like mm. really, he is becoming more and more like a child. Like, yes, maybe a very savvy uh, child, but he acts like a child, you mm-hmm. know. And again, we've talked about it, but Skarsgård's body language, his movements, the way he talks, Dude. it's like a schoolyard bully again. And like him calling Kendall's numbers gay, like that felt like the yes. ultimate teenage Jesus. boy in betweeners kind of insult, right? And it was so interesting in the way that they're portraying him now at this point. Yeah, like he's not this cool, calm, collected. I'm the top dog, I know more than all the rest of you. He is once again also slightly panicking and flailing, I think, at this point, because he knows maybe he's in trouble with the India stuff coming out. Kendall and Roman are annoying him by delaying this, uh, this you know, deal. And you can feel it. He's at this party he doesn't want to be at. He's having to suck up to people he doesn't want to suck up to. And he basically throws his toys out of the pram at that moment when he sat by the window, doesn't he, I think? You know, he has a little, but- he has a little tantrum. And it's also- hilarious to see. Can we talk about Matson's gold bomber jacket? Amazing. Just the visual of him, this like enormous man coming in with his little goblin hunched shoulders (laughs) with this shiny gold jacket. To quote Skarsgård himself, it was like throwing a golden hand grenade into a room of grey suits. Exactly that. And he's perfect. Move. Perfectly put. And he literally comes in during the moment of silence for Logan as well, right? Mm. Again, this real emphasis of Logan's gone. The old guard has gone. Here comes this little weird fuck up, like golden hand grenade to come in and explode everything, which he does from the moment he walks into the party. Everything kind of starts to explode, doesn't it? And uh, Skarsgård as ever. Like there are moments like there's I think it's the moment during when Roman is having this kind of argument with Connor and you can just see Skarsgård in the background sitting on that window ledge. Yeah. And he's kind of out of focus, but he's doing hilarious things and he's reacting to what Connor's saying. And then there's that moment at the end when he says to Connor, 
Connor, you got my vote yeah. and stuff like he was just so funny in this episode again. I love him. He is so good. And like yeah, yeah. everything about that performance and it is childlike. It is childlike and childish. Oh, so childlike. And bullish. Yeah. In a way that, you know, when he's outside of his environment, like when he's outside of the the places where he's controlling the situation, it it does strike you as like non-serious. But at the same time, it shows up just how ridiculous all the people in that room are anyway. Like, you know, these like yeah. thought leaders that are gonna be essentially pick the new president. Like it oh. is it is distasteful, it is ridiculous, it is horrible, actually, if you think about it too deeply. So like some a child like a golden hand grenade like Matson being thrown into that yeah. situation, I think also serves to show up the inherent ridiculousness of it all. It's just because they're wearing black Dior suits does not mean that they're any less ridiculous than this like six foot five man child. Totally. But also what's really interesting is that because he is so out there and ridiculous, mm. Kendall and Roman's plan is sort of working. Like, I feel like they, once again, Kendall sort of knows how to compose himself publicly, right? He does his little speech, mm. you know, he, he, you know, he does his little who's here tonight, you know, thing. And then he has, you know, a moment of silence for our dad. And he knows what to say at those sorts of moments. And even when they have that big public showdown, Kendall uses his words much more wisely than Matson does, right? When yeah. he's like, oh, your, you know, your figure's almost unbelievable. And then when he sort of says, oh man, that's a little bit homophobic, don't you think? And stuff like, Kendall knows actually how to come across as the more mature, quote unquote, serious person in that exchange, right? Even though we all know Kendall is actually full of shit, but Kendall is good at knowing how to conduct himself in those moments. And actually, Matson is so ridiculous that I think Roman and Kendall maybe not Roman so much, but Kendall comes out of that party looking like the better, more serious person, I think, which is interesting. I mean, good is a strong word for Kendall. <laughs> yeah. For baby Ken. Uh, serious, also a strong word for our boy Ken, but he, he I agree. Win. He, he, he does come week. off better. Yeah, he yeah. had a win last week with and his with his presentation. I think he kind of had a win again this week compared to his siblings, you know? It's what I will say is that, like, I found a really curious that he zeroes in on Ebba really quickly when he sees her upset he like goes in him and Roman like go in and and chat to her so they get a whole bunch of intel about Matson in that way and also Roman has a PI dig stuff up on Matson and honestly I mean this is the this is the more egregious part of Matson's like if you're CEO of a major like tech empire Mm -hmm. How the fuck can a simple PI dig up the fact that you've been sending your ex-girlfriend, who's also your employee, buckets of your uh, frozen blood? It's so interesting. That should be kind of like very, very on the down low, shouldn't it? Well, it's interesting as well that the blood thing actually turns out to not be as explosive as we thought. You know, even when they mention it to Ebba, she's like, "Mm, that's the least of his worries. You know, like this this India (laughs) stuff kind of becomes much more important in a way than the blood stuff. Uh, But yeah, I, I, you know, it's, it's... Kendall and Roman as well being like, oh, just on a human level, we want to check you're okay. And it's like, oh God, they're for sure. everyone is for everyone in this party is so awful, aren't they? <laughs> like literally everyone. Oh, no. I mean, that awful Honestly. I find it so I found it really hard to watch that exchange between Matson and Ebba when Greg is there and they're talking about firing her. It's just a horror and Oscar is so vile. Like they're all just so fucking horrible in that scene as well. You know, you know what? I'm just gonna say it up top now. Fuck Greg. Fuck Greg, 
all over. I don't even want to talk about Greg this episode. I'm like, you know what? He's canceled. I don't want to. I don't want him as a character. I don't fucking care what he does. I don't care about his like hundred skulls in three days. You know what, Greg? You shove your all six foot seven of you in a fucking bucket and like push yourself out into a river. I do not care. He started off as an audience surrogate for us in the season, and you know what? He is like. His soul is decrepit. I fucking hate him. He is taking on the worst lessons from the worst people. Yes. And he should just like push him out of the window. Yeah. Do you remember that one episode of Sex in the City Splat where, you know, this ex-party girl just falls oh, yes. out a window? Yes. Let's do that to Greg. Someone push him off the triplex balcony. <laughs> I do not care anymore. He should go back to like working in the theme. Actually, no, don't set him walking back in the theme park with the kids because the kids do not deserve yeah. that. Yeah. Absolutely hate this dude yeah he is the absolute worst of the worst isn't he like it's so interesting the show is every scene it gives us of greg this season he is doing something else sickening and horrible right it's it's really interesting and yeah like that i found that whole sequence really hard sequence to watch i just poor ebba just get out of there ebba you know get out (laughs) yeah ebba just spill the beans to some newspaper spill it to the new york times and just get out get out get do you out. know what she needs she she needs some advice from jerry on how to treat this right what she <laughs> yes. needs to do is take a leaf out of jerry's book and say look i have this dirt on you i will go public i want hundreds of millions i want to be out and i want nothing said about my reputation to tarnish my reputation in the next five years you know this is ebba has the ammunition to do this as well right she yeah. needs she needs to team up with jerry <laughs> oh my god i mean who do we want to speak about next shall we stay with ken and rub yeah. up with him? should we should we go because because ken you know we should talk about this ken and rava secret at the beginning right as well, well because a lot of echoes of logan and ken's encounter with rava right because um his daughter sophie oh yeah remember ken has kids two kids yeah iverson and sophie <laughs> we you might have forgotten because we never see them no. and never hear of them anyway he meets up with rava because sophie is being bullied at school because of how awful ATN is and their support for the proto-fascist, um, you know, Republican yes. candidate for the presidency, Jared Menken. And he gets really aggressive with Rava and is sort of like, you know, I need all the information. Where were you? Why were you not with oh. her? And she's like, oh, sir, sir, yeah. excuse me. Have you spoken to your daughter lately? Mm-hmm. Can you get off my fucking back? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm telling you this. Like, I'm sharing the information. And you like, don't... He takes such a horrible attitude with her. It is disgusting. And when he says this thing, he says this line, you have no idea the things I'm doing. I'm working across six continents. I'm breaking my back. And it's all for them to make the world safe. <laughs> All for them, that line is a very Logan line, you know? All I've done is for my children. No, fuck off, Logan. You did it for yourself. Just own that. And same, like, Ken doesn't want to be CEO because of Sophie and Iverson. He will probably, like, never fucking speak to them again if he gets that job. Like, properly gets that job. Yeah, totally. Oh, 100%. And, you know, this thing where Kendall, you know, likes to think of himself as a good person, you know, and he's like, he probably truly Mm. believes this, that what he's doing is trying to make the world safe. But, of course, you know, that more and more emphasis on on just how dangerous Menken is right he's mm. he's four points four points behind in the polls you know uh, at this point right and mm-hmm. there's this other stuff going on that we hear about a kind of fire bombing in Phoenix you know in a campaign mm-hmm. office and that there is real genuine danger here with this um yeah. with this politician and you know and what could happen and 
you know, this is a moment where Kendall could suddenly realize, oh, I do, I, you know, he, he's, his kids are not safe. America might not be safe. Maybe I can do something here, use my power for good and, you know, take down Mencken and or at least, you know, not give him, actively give him support, mm. which he, he he drops at one point to Roman. He sort of says, yeah, fuck Mencken, maybe, you know, like, fuck the, you know, and then and then, of course, flips five minutes later and and his little sneaky conversations with nate are interesting too because nate also you know not the not the best human being in the world but great to see nate back right and uh yeah yeah good good to see nate but also i'm sorry did i miss something but when did nate and ken become like bros yeah like well i i was never sure whether in season one, obviously, we really only see him in a sort of, uh, you know, with Shiv. But maybe has he been like a longer friend of the family in some regard? Like, you know, you get the feeling that even in season one, him and Shiv had known each other for a long time, right? So maybe at some point he knew the family or was close with the brothers too. I don't know. Yeah, that was a kind of first we'd heard of that. Right? Yeah. So like, you know, they give each other a hug. They're like, oh, nice to see you, bro. Brother this, brother that. I'm like... Did you know each other? Yeah. Like, like, it, it's one of these things. I think it's 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 one of the the small niggles I have with the show as a whole that sometimes it doesn't quite know how to deploy its like uh, supporting characters. So we'll just like mm. bring them out occasionally and be like, oh yeah, by the way, this was also this is also a thing that's been happening with them. And I was like, oh really? Oh, uh, okay, because you've given me no information. Yeah, true, uh, true. In the previous season, so yeah, that I found a little bit grating, but there was a great line when uh, Nate. You know, Ken tries to do a Logan and Nate, and Nate is like, no, I'm not doing this. Mm. And also, you're not Logan, and that's a good thing. Yeah. And Ken's, again, truth bulbs being dropped all around in this episode. And Kendall basically being fundamentally, existentially incapable of accepting the fact that he's not his dad. But that that's not a bad thing. Yes. It is not a bad thing that he's not Logan Roy. Well, they all take it as an insult, right? Roman was told by Jerry, you're not your father. And that was what led him to explode and fire her as well. They hate being told you're not your father, right? Mm. And yeah, it's interesting. You know, Nate, uh, it, it almost fulfilled a kind of Sandy Stewie role with Kendall in this, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's almost like he's kind of, the, clearly they have some sort of friendship that we didn't know about. And then he's mm-hmm. sort of like, yeah, all right, Ken, all right, Ken. And then ultimately it's just like, no, forget this. I'm not taking you seriously, you know, and and mm-hmm. leaves. But yeah, it's really interesting. But of course, then Ken, all of his little sneaky backroom conversations. And then of course, you know, it ends with Ken uh, pulling in Frank, for a sneaky conversation. And this is the most Kendall thing of all, right? Let's Honestly. do a reverse Viking. Let's basically try and acquire Gojo rather than they acquire us. And he says something, doesn't he, where he says something like, even dad, this is even bigger than dad would have done. You know, like, he, again, he's trying to be his dad. Uh, yeah, he says, you know, we pillage the village, Waystar acquires Gojo, bigger than dad ever was, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like, oh, please, Frank, don't entertain this. <laughs> but <laughs> also, know? now he's also icing out Roman. He's like, I like him, but, you know, yeah, it's just going to be me. Yeah. And honestly, at this point, I'm like, can, can we, can we stop having another, like, 
takeover plan every fucking episode i can't keep up <laughs> my dude seriously and like we're both gonna we're every single success like every single business school in the world is gonna have to give out mba so every single su- succession viewer because like oh dude can we st-? like yeah i don't care stop no. it well that's the go thing. to it's, therapy it's, it is beyond comedy almost at this point isn't it you're right yes. just how many sort of takeover plans kendall has like pulled out of his ass you know since this series began and even just in the space of this season as well you know the amount of actually let's try this plan actually let's work against my brother to do this actually let's work against shiv to do this like it's just constant the amount of changes of plans since episode one of this season when they were going to launch the hundred together right is mm-hmm. is just it's, it is absurd, right? It is comedic and absurd. Like, what the hell's happened to Pierce? What's happened mm-hmm. to them buying Pierce? That's, you know, that is long gone. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's way in the past. That, that was, was like, like six six plans ago, wasn't it? That exactly. Was like six takeovers yeah, like, ago. Jesus, yeah. Kendall. Honestly. <laughs> Oh, it is God. it is ridiculous. I'm like I'm a little bit sick of Ken. Like yeah. good for him that he kind of you know stood his ground against Matson. But honestly, this like whole scheme scheming under the scheming and like oh. trying to ice out not just Shiv at this point, but also Roman. I'm like oh fuck fuck off Ken. Not a good person. Get not a, a good person. Uh, what about Roman? How did you what what do you think of Roman's little? Because we saw Le- Roman. At, he was a quite a low lowest low last week. I would say when he was yeah. firing people, he was panicking. Kendall had his moment on stage. Roman didn't, you know, uh, and yeah. Ha- yeah, apologies for the wibble wobble. Yeah, his little wibble wobble. Yeah, exactly. Um, Roman seems back to kind of normal Roman form in this episode, really, doesn't he? Well, Roman <laughs> has this thing that I'm guessing, emphasis on guessing, mm. uh, happens to uh, extremely wealthy people where it's like, Oh, well, that thing I did doesn't really matter, right? No consequences. When he has, you know, his most significant moment here is, well, I think there's two significant things that happen with Roman in this episode. His um, conversation with Jerry, which I'll get Mm. to in a second, but also his very slow um, declaration of kind of him wanting to do the big speech at their father's funeral. That's how we start off the, the Sips having breakfast and Connor updating them on the funeral plans and Roman sort of you know eyes the situation at that point and towards the end of the episode he says I like can I do this um I'd like to do this if nobody else wants to uh it's very clear that he wanted to from the start but his conversation with Jerry it's very much like, oh, we'll just go back to the way it was. You know, all those things I did, you know, the whole firing you and stuff. Like, eh, it doesn't really matter, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And she's like, no, 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 no. You made a choice and we're sticking with that choice. And you're going to have to eat up the consequences of that choice. And she says this thing that absolutely fucking decimates him, I think. Because she, I mean, first of all, Jerry's exit plan. Oh, perfection. Just like I, oh, I literally God. clapped. I hired. <laughs> it was so good. She's hired some personal publicists. She's sent through her requirements. Yeah. She is gonna be drowning in money, yeah. and she's like, I have a personal exit narrative. And if you so much as deviate from it, if I hear, if I smell a whiff of any kind of counter narrative to the one that I'm putting out there, mm-hmm. like I will go public with the numerous pictures I have of your genitalia. I'm like Roman. Those dick pics were coming back to haunt you. You thought that they just like disappeared into the ether? No, they didn't, sweetie. So good. They're coming back. So good. And the minute 
she finishes that and he kind of she says I could have gotten you there it's it's very much a a Game of Thrones line or a Gwyneth Paltrow moment Mm. you know when she says I wish you well yeah yeah (laughs) or you know tell Cersei I want her to know it was me yeah it's very much the same thing. It's like, I could have got you there. I could have gotten you there. Oh, totally. It was perfect. And every everything mm-hmm. she said there was perfect, I think. And uh, like, Jerry, as ever, smartest person on this whole show. We knew it. I knew it last week when we, you know, we saw this moment of her getting fired. I was like, Jerry's going to find a way to recover from this, you know, and she absolutely has. And uh, yeah, Roman doing his usual just kind of like little jittery kind of responding to what she's saying. Like, yeah, yeah your bullet points. Blah, blah, yeah. blah. Like, you know, like, just like petulant child uh but knowing that he's he's slightly screwed himself over there as well and then of yes. course the next time we see him he's taking out on connor isn't he he's really like mm-hmm. blowing up at connor tell your wife quote unquote you know that you've got to move to Oman yeah. and blah 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 he is just he's angry and panicking at that moment i have to i have to say my favorite karen culkin moment in this episode is when he goes to grab I can't remember who's he's grabbing, but he does the little influencer voice and yeah. face where he's like, "Can I steal him for a second? I, it was my favorite bit. I like it's I, my favorite bit in the whole I episode. Yeah, I, I, I was watching it with Rihanna, and I, every, I've watched it three times, and every time that bit makes me laugh the most. It's it's yeah, it's when yeah, he steals same. Connor from Willa. He goes, "Can I just yeah, steal him for a moment?" A- and does his little his little pouty <laughs> smile. It's so good. Yeah. Oh. I Kieran Culkin, so as ever, much. just absolutely smashing it. Yeah, so, so good. And I mean, you know, maybe a good segue into Connor because Connor reappears and Connor apparently is a little is a little bit of a threat to Matson. I knew it. I knew this was coming. I knew this <laughs> was You're coming. Like, because they keep sort of saying, look, he's got this like 1%. And, you know, yes. that has come back to actually mean something, right? That he is, of course, what he's doing is he's stealing some of the conservative percentage yeah. in certain states. So yeah, uh, they need him to step down. Connor will not be told. He doesn't care. And I love, like, I mean, spoiler alert, but all of- I'm a no on the oh slows. Spoiler alert, and all of my favourite quotes from the episode are from Connor. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, oh, I need to... I don't want to go anywhere that doesn't have news. Honestly, I need to check with my woman about Oman. Like, everything. It's so, so good. So good. Yeah, I love it. I love oh it. And I was God. really glad that they decided not to step down by the end of the episode. Because I, mean, I now... I can't on... wait to see how this election is going to pan out. Oh, dude, I, I think my theory about Connor's ultimate like public political humiliation is going to potentially pan out, mm. given that he's decided not to step down from, you know, being a candidate. However, can we just like... Again, not to get to real world, real world about it, but like, holy shit, Connor is the perfect example of someone... Failing so hard that the only way is up. Yes. It's yes. like, oh, you are a, ter- a terrible political candidate. How about you become an ambassador? He's sort of doing, yes, out of all of the hopeless billionaires trying to make something happen for themselves in this show, he's mm. actually succeeding more than any of the rest of them, right? In just being himself. I think the thing that Connor has got over his everyone else in this family is that he's not really sneaky. He's not really um, double-crossing. <laughs> he is so unapologetic. He's not smart enough No, he's not smart enough. Sneaky. He's just so unapologetically himself and everything that comes out of his mouth is basic just honesty. That, that mm. you know, the th- that's the thing that ultimately... 
I know what you mean about this kind of humiliation or something happening to Connor, but actually, is there anything on Connor that anyone can go public with? You know, because he is so... I think they even have that conversation, don't they, when Logan is talking about potential future candidates in the third season, and they look at Connor and they're like, he's a good-looking guy, he's got this, he's got this, He's no, there's no dirt on him, he's clean, you know, like, he's... In some ways, he mm-hmm. is so who he is that... It's sort of working for him, no matter how stupid and ridiculous and incapable he is as well. So it's it's going to be so interesting to see what happens next week. I'm assuming next week must be election episode because election yeah. is tomorrow, right? In the world of succession. So we'll yeah. finally get Jared Menken back because you know what? I miss Justin Kirk. I want him back. It's not enough just to see him like on the on the TV with the polls and stuff. I want him I want him taking down Connor or something. Yeah, I know. Yeah, bring the fascist back. Let's see what's going to happen. It's going to be so interesting to see. But yeah, I think I think a great episode for Connor. A win for Connor this week, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's doing well. Good he's for got Connor. Few, he's got his few percent. And uh, he's, you know, he's, uh, he's going with the one person at this party who believes in him or takes him seriously, at least. And uh, yeah, and, and he's got Matson's vote. <laughs> Apparently. Can he Matson even vote in the States? Oh, probably not. Probably not. No. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, dear. Have we covered everyone? Then? I think we have. I mean, like, mm. let's not talk about, like we said, we're not going to talk about Greg, right? But shall we just briefly, not, no, shall, shall we briefly just talk about that scene where Greg and Tom fire everyone, though? Because that is quite a moment, isn't it, as well? Tom, I love Tom's fake, like, this is just so hard for me. Oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, dear. The waterworks are starting. Oh, my God. Especially, you know, again, not to bring the real world into our escapist world of succession, mm. but considering the, the, onslaught of media layoffs yep. that have been happening over the last couple of weeks and several very big media companies literally folding it is jarring to see the 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 brutal layoffs done by a stupid sycophant like greg mm-hmm. and the uh, like the the firing people for sport in such a way, while Tom is off in the shadows, sexting his wife and um, like mock crying at the news is disgusting. It's horrific. It is disgusting. And I think it's meant to be disgusting. Absolutely. It's another new low for the disgusting brothers in this scene, isn't it? And I think it's really Mm -hmm. interesting as well when he is, when Greg is telling Matson, sort of bragging about the amount of people he's fired and Matson goes, "Mm, you're not a good person. And and Greg's like, no, I am. am. You just got to do what you've got to do. And it's like, no, Matson again, calling it where he sees it but he just goes ah mm-hmm. i see you're actually a complete dickhead right okay got it <laughs> i thought <laughs> like, you were yeah, the uh, you know the bottom barrel of the gene pool but hey maybe you've got a personality firing people via zoom is not a personality it's not a personality i'd like to see you know what i don't want to see it because i don't want to see greg anymore but what if you put greg into a real room with real people and told him to fire them let's see let's see how um good at firing people he is then exactly exactly well enough about greg anna let's let's move on uh Let's talk about winners and losers. Who was MVP for you this week? Who came out on top? Batson's jacket, honestly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I I honestly think it was probably, I think it was probably Ken. 
I think Ken had another win. In quite an annoying way, I think it, I think you're probably right. Although also Jerry. I mean, Jerry, yes. you know, yes. is going to get her hundreds of millions and hopefully live happily ever after, I think. And she has insurance <laughs> against the Roys for the rest of her life. Yes, 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 yes. But you're right. I think, I think quite frustratingly, I think Kendall and Roman's plans are sort of coming to fruition, right? Um, which is quite frustrating to see. But yes, Kendall sort of had a win here. Yeah. Dislike um, it. What about the... What about the loser? Who's the saddest Roy or the saddest character, sorry, at the end of this? Honestly, I think it's a tie between Tom and Shiv. They're both really sad by the end yeah. of this. And sad throughout most of the episode too, in the case of Tom. Yeah, it's it's the, yeah, you're right. It's the snake and the scorpion. They're both very, very sad in this episode, mm. aren't they? The saddest both of them have looked together at the end in those final shots as well. Yeah. Um, favorite quotes i mean we've already listed quite a few great quotes in this episode in such an explosive episode do you have any other favorite quotes i have many and actually you can have all the connor ones because i don't have any of the the connor ones (laughs) i love them but um i love some of the throwaway lines like when shiv reads a text from mattson that's uh and says he doesn't want to swim he doesn't want to swim around my dad's bullshit pre-election brain dead aol era legacy media putrich stuffed mushroom fuck fest (laughs) just well well done lucas well done it sounds really stupid because it's not really a quote but i absolutely giggle every single time when i've seen you know Ebba and Matson just go, Lucas? Yeah. Ebba? Ebba? Yeah. <laughs> so good. So what about good. you? What about some of your favorite Connor singers? I mean, Connor, you know, we've already said a few of them. Slovenia and Slovakia. I think I'm a no on the slows. Loved it. Uh, <laughs> Roman saying, I don't think they're going to put you anywhere with nukes, Con. And Connor saying, that's insulting. I don't think I want to go anywhere that doesn't have nukes. Loved it. Loved it. Loved, uh, I'll check with my woe man about Oman. Uh, Oman, poor man, Saudi Arabia, rich man, Yemen. Hmm. <laughs> Geopolitics with Conor Roy coming soon to all podcatchers near you. <laughs> so there you go. I think that's it. Three episodes left, Anna. And it's too hard. I can't even begin to try and predict anymore this show and where it's going to go and what's going to happen. You know, like I wow. have absolutely no idea what these last three episodes are going to look like. I'm just, go- I'm just along for the ride. I'm just vibing. I've got my theories about Shiv. I've got my theory about Connor. And you know, let's see. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm just, I'm just here for the ride. By the way, did you get tickets to the finale at the BFI? No. No. Neither and I'm did fucking I. furious. Did you? No. No. Honestly, if any reps from. HBO or the BFI are listening to this podcast, which, by the way, you should. Uh, number one TV review podcast in the UK. That's right, exactly. Uh, hit us up with some tickets. Sort us out with some tickets. Yeah. So for people who don't know, the BFI here in London, um, gorgeous cinema, is showing the final ever episode of Succession at the same time that it's airing in the US. So it's like two AM, two AM right? London mm-hmm. time. Uh, Jesse Armstrong, I think he's going to be there he's as well. He's going to be there. Yeah, introduce. talking about quote unquote his memories of Succession, which you know. <laughs> Troublesome oh. proposition. <laughs> Troublesome. Love it. So, yeah, but uh, that, that screening is happening and it's sold out. Yeah. It's yeah, sold out yeah. like with a heart, within a heartbeat. I really want to go. I'm desperately trying to get tickets. However, it is also going to be a personal challenge because, uh, and my boyfriend has made fun of me constantly since the screening was announced. I can barely stay awake after 10 p.m. So I'm like, 2 well. a.m.? <laughs> This is this is exactly this is exactly what I thought. I thought, can I actually 
face doing that. I think I would be like Tom. I'd be like, my eyes are like sandpaper yeah, and I yeah. just want to go to bed. <laughs> but, but this is the extent of my devotion to this goddamn show. I yeah. will stay awake. I will I will watch 90 minutes of the finale. It's been confirmed that the fin- final episode is going to be 90 minutes long. And I will watch another half an hour, 40 minutes of a Q&A with Jesse Armstrong because that is how much I care about succession. There you go. There you go. Um, well, let's hope. We've put that out there into the ether. If somebody could just make that happen HBO, for us, hook us up. Awesome. We'll have yeah, t-shirts up, made please. that just say Successionistas. We'll spread them out amongst the people. So when Jesse Urmson comes onto the stage, onto the NFT one yep. stage, he just sees a sea of Successionistas. Yeah. And then everyone can yell Successionistas in unison. Let um, us know if you want planned. that to everyone who's going, who's got tickets for that. Hook us up and we'll make that happen. And when he comes on board, we shall yell the Successionistas all together. Let's make it happen. <laughs> it's a once in a lifetime, once in a generation opportunity for us to, you know... <laughs> create a scene in front of one of our favorite tv writers please let's make it happen i love it (laughs) um well there you go so until election night next week anna uh let people know where they can find you and more of your work online well by the time this episode airs my book unlikable female characters the woman pop culture wants you to hate will be out today in the (gasps) states holy shit holy shit amazing yeah so go buy that Go buy that everywhere. Yeah. Make sure I can write more books. There's a ton there about Shiv Roy, another great uh, unlikable female characters from film history. And other than that, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Anna B. Demented. Uh, you can also subscribe and listen to my horror film history podcast, The Final Girls, uh, and listen to Mike and I's other horror podcast, Dead by Dawn, which is all about the Evil Dead films, or Hello Sydney, which is all about the Scream films. Yeah, don't don't mean to brag, but if you look in the UK podcast charts, me and Anna are top of film history with our Evil Dead podcast, and like you said, we're top of our top of the TV reviews charts with Succession Easters, so you know you can't you can't swing a cat for one of our successful podcasts, Anna, right now. Um, so uh, yeah, so you could you could check out as Anna mentioned, their Dead by Dawn and Hello Sydney, our horror podcast that we do together, and then you can also check out my horror podcast, The Evolution of Horror, wherever you get your podcasts. And that's it for this week. Join us next week for another episode of the Succession Easters. The Succession Easters. Fuck off.